Hello, I'm R.A. Spratt. I write and perform this podcast. If you'd like to support the show, I'm a children's author, so you can buy a book by me, or you can buy me a coffee by going to buymeacoffee.com slash stories R.A. Spratt. It's an easy way to make a small thank you gift to the show so I can keep kicking this can down the road. The podcast directory you're using right now should have a link to my Buy Me A Coffee page in the show notes, or you can type it into your browser. That's buymeacoffee.com slash stories R.A. Spratt. All contributions are gratefully appreciated. Hello and welcome to Bedtime Stories with me, R.A. Spratt. Okay, so this week we're going to take a break from the pesky kids. Don't fear, I will be back doing the pesky kids next week if you're a pesky kids fan. But um, I'm going to have something different this week because the audiobook of Nanny Piggins and the Accidental Blast Off is going on sale on the 13th of June. So it will be available anywhere you get audio books. I always get my audio books from Audible, but... I know you can get them lots of different places. So um, that's happening this week. So I thought I would read a chapter from that book to promote it and encourage you to go out and buy the audio book. I've actually had a lot of people requesting this chapter. It's called, I'm going to be reading to you chapter eight, Nanny Piggins, Steel Chef. Uh, so anyway, that's there. Uh, I've been getting lots of mail from people who've been missing Nanny Piggins while I've been working through the Pesky Kids. So if that's you, there are now four Nanny Piggins audiobooks available. So go and buy one of those. That four books means there's like over 40 Nanny Piggins stories because there's 10 chapters, which means 10 stories in each book. So there's like 16 hours of Nanny Piggins you can listen to if you buy the books. Also, obviously, buying the books is a big help to me because I'm an author and that's how I make my living. But anyway, enough of that. Right now, let's get into this podcast and I'll start reading you the story because it's a cracker. Chapter 8, Nanny Piggins Steals Chef. Nanny Piggins, Boris and the children had spent a lovely morning playing with Samson and Margaret Wallace. Nanny Piggins was always good at thinking up activities to ensure an exciting play date. But on this particular day, she outdid herself. We're going into town to make a mudslide, announced Nanny Piggins. Naturally, this alarmed the children. But won't it destroy people's homes, protested Derek. And endanger lives, worried Samantha. Of course not, said Nanny Piggins. At least, I don't think so. Certainly not very much. But it turns out the children need not have worried because Nanny Piggins had a very creative idea about how to make her own mudslide. She took Boris and the children to the town's newly opened Water Fun Park. Then they all carried sacks full of as much dirt as they could lift, which was quite a bit, particularly in Boris's case, up to the top of the tallest water slide, threw the dirt into the swirling water, and jumped in after it. The result was marvellous. It combined all the fun of a water slide with all the joy of getting unspeakably dirty. As luck would have it, the slack-jawed teenager in charge of monitoring the ride was so lazy he did not notice that the water slide had been transformed into a mud chute until Nanny Piggins, Boris and the children had been down it five times. Then they went down it another two times while he and the rest of the fun park staff tried to catch Nanny Piggins. It was foolish to even try. But luckily for them, at this point, Nanny Piggins got hungry, so they all left voluntarily. The manager of the Water Fun Park did come out to scream at them about vandalising valuable equipment, but Nanny Piggins soon put him in his place, telling him that a mudslide is ten times more fun than a water slide, and if they marketed it as a mud fun park, they would have even more customers. 
which incidentally turned out to be true. The manager was essentially a lazy man, and he thought it would be easier to just change the sign at the entrance than to clean out the water slide. So Nanny Piggins was just cleaning up Samson and Margaret by blasting them with a hose as they stood up against Mr Green's garage door when their nanny and Nanny Piggins' arch-nemesis, Nanny Anne, appeared five minutes early, catching Nanny Piggins unaware. "'What happened to the children?' cried Nanny Anne. She hated dirt in all its forms, but she particularly hated dirt in such large quantities. "'They, um, uh, tripped,' suggested Nanny Piggins, "'repeatedly, in especially muddy places.' Nanny Ann glared at Nanny Piggins. She quivered for a moment, as though she was thinking up incredibly mean things to say. But then the most amazing thing happened. Instead of giving Nanny Piggins a long and boring lecture about how to be a proper nanny, Nanny Ann took a deep breath and said, "'And how are you today, Nanny Piggins?' Everyone froze. "'What's going on?' demanded Nanny Piggins, suddenly alarmed. Am I on a hidden camera TV show? Have you hired an assassin to come and get me? Have you been told by a doctor that I only have two weeks to live? Why on earth would you suddenly be nice to me? She only asked how you were, observed Derek. But she's never done that before, protested Nanny Piggins. Not unless she followed it up with a comment like, Haven't you been sleeping? You've got such huge bags under your eyes. Or, You're looking a bit green. Are you unwell? Or is it just the colour of your dress that does that to you? Ha, 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 said Nanny Ann, mimicking the noise of normal human laughter. Oh, Nanny Piggins, you're such an adorable character. You're right, she does want something, exclaimed Michael. Either that or she's been kidnapped by aliens, and this is a Nanny Ann clone, said Samantha, peering at Nanny Ann to see if there were any protruding robot parts. Nanny Piggins stood protectively in front of the children. Stop trying to be nice. You're not very good at it and you're frightening the children, accused Nanny Piggins. Just tell us what you want. Oh, all right, said Nanny Ann. The Steel Chef show is coming to town. Oh, I love that show, said Boris excitedly. The Steel Chef is so rude. They're looking for cooking contestants, continued Nanny Ann. If you and I team up with your flair for desserts and my ability to actually follow a recipe, we'd be unstoppable. I don't want to team up with you, said Nanny Piggins. I'd sooner cook with a baboon, she turned to the children and explained. Baboons are very good at making sauces. They've got tremendous patience with the stirring. Well, too bad you don't have any choice, said Nanny Ann, because I've already put our names down and you can't change teams once you're entered. Why on earth did you do that, protested Nanny Piggins. I didn't want you teaming up with someone else against me, explained Nanny Ann. Now all that's decided, I'd better take Samson and Margaret home to wash them properly. I'll see you tomorrow morning for the tryouts. They watched as Nanny Ann led her two soggy charges away. What are you going to do? asked Derek. Isn't it obvious? said Nanny Piggins. Chase after Nanny Ann and bite her for her impertinence? asked Michael. No, said Nanny Piggins, although that is a good idea. But I have decided I will go along with Nanny Ann's scheme. Really? exclaimed Samantha. They were all surprised. It is true I cannot stand Nanny Ann, admitted Nanny Piggins, and it takes all my strength of will not to pick up a handful of mud and rub it in her hair every time I see her. Still, it would not be fair to the television viewers of the world to deny them the opportunity of seeing me cook. Therefore, I shall compete. The next day, Nanny Piggins, Boris and the children arrived at the local football stadium. So many people were trying out, it was the only place in town that would hold them all. It was quite a sight to behold. 500 trestle tables with camping stoves and portable ovens, all set up for 1,000 would-be steel chefs. They found Nanny Ann at the first trestle table in the front row. She had secured it by arriving at 3am, four hours before anybody else. 
She was busily arranging all her equipment on her half of the table, using a set square and protractor so everything was perfectly at right angles, when Nanny Piggins emptied out her own box of equipment. Is that all you brought, asked Nanny Ann, looking at Nanny Piggins' well-worn collection of bowls, spoons and saucepans. I don't need anything else, said Nanny Piggins dismissively. What about scales, asked Nanny Ann. I don't believe in measuring things when I cook, said Nanny Piggins. It takes the surprise out of the final result. Oh, what about your food processor, asked Nanny Ann. Oh, I never used one, said Nanny Piggins. Too much washing up. Where's your colander, asked Nanny Ann. Oh, we lost that weeks ago. When we were catching tadpoles in a storm water drain, said Nanny Piggins. But don't worry, I did bring our remaining badminton racket. I can strain pasta with that. I can see I'm going to have to do everything myself, said Nanny Ann, which she was secretly glad about. She was not a woman who enjoyed delegating, or anything really, except disapproving of people. Where are Samson and Margaret today, asked Nanny Piggins. Nanny Ann momentarily looked confused, as if she did not know who Nanny Piggins was talking about. But she never got to answer, because just then, a microphone crackled, and a harassed-looking producer addressed the assembled crowd. Uh, Thank you all for coming, said the producer. The first sudden death elimination round will begin in a few minutes. But before we start, let's have some inspiring words from the steel chef himself, Mr. Kimuzukashi. Mr. Kamuzikashi strode out onto the stage. He was a short but very angry-looking Japanese man with Elvis-style hair, dressed in a colourful silk dressing gown, cravat and cowboy boots. The crowd broke into rapturous applause. Some more hysterical Steel Chef fans screamed like pop groupies, then fainted, which was not a smart thing to do when there are lots of sharp cooking implements around. Mr. Kamuzukashi stood in front of the microphone, glared angrily at the crowd, then commenced screaming at them in a torrent of Japanese. What's he saying? asked Michael. I don't know, admitted Nanny Piggins, but it doesn't sound very friendly, does it? I speak some Japanese, but he's using words which I think are too rude to be included in the standard Berlitz phrase book. Fortunately, a translator appeared and spoke into a second microphone. I have no doubt you are all terrible cooks, interpreted the translator calmly. Everyone in the audience cheered. The steel chef was famous for his rudeness. I am just grateful that I do not have to soil my mouth with any of the food you prepare here today. Fortunately, my team of minions will take care of that. I doubt any of you are really worthy of competing against me. It disgusts me to look at you, let alone eat your food, concluded Mr. Kamuzukashi before walking off the stage. Oh, isn't he dreamy, sighed Nanny Ann. He needs a short, sharp bite to the shit if you ask me, scowled Nanny Piggins. All right, then, said the producer, returning to the microphone. We commence cooking in 60 seconds. The rules are simple. One, you must make an entree, main course and dessert. Two, you must not interfere with or even touch another competitor's food or utensils. And three, you must use the steel chef's special ingredient, which is... A stagehand wheeled out a trolley and whipped off a stainless steel cover to reveal a huge plate of pale, slimy stuff. Tofu! Yes, cried Nanny Ann, pumping her fist in the air. She was glad she stayed up last night memorising her tofu cookbook now. Nanny Piggins glowered. Is this some kind of trick? I don't believe tofu really is a food. It looks disgusting. It feels disgusting. And it tastes disgusting. Why is tofu a food and dirt isn't? At least dirt is a nice chocolatey brown colour. You have 30 minutes beginning now, said the producer, starting a giant stopwatch. I'll take care of the entree in the main. Can I trust you to handle the dessert? asked Nanny Ann. Fine, muttered Nanny Piggins. Nanny Ann frantically set to work. 
She'd been manically beating, chopping, steaming and seasoning for 15 minutes before she looked around to see what Nanny Piggins was up to. And she was horrified to discover that the answer was nothing. Nanny Piggins was sitting on the ground, her head clutched in her trotters, rocking back and forth. What's she doing? screeched Nanny Ann. Oh, thinking, explained Derek. But she's supposed to be cooking, shrieked Nanny Ann, her voice getting higher with every syllable. I think she's trying to figure out how to make something as disgusting as tofu into something as delicious as a dessert, explained Samantha. Nanny Piggins doesn't know any tofu recipes, added Michael. Terrific. So I'm going to have to cook the dessert as well, said Nanny Ann. When we get home, someone is going to be spending a lot of time sitting on the naughty step. But that was not to be, because just then, Nanny Piggins startled them all by leaping to her trotters and yelling, I've got it! Stand back! Nanny Piggins then launched into cooking in much the same way she used to be launched out of a cannon. She moved in such a blur of speed, it was impossible to see what she was doing. Only two minutes to go, said Nanny Ann nervously. She'd finished both her courses with three minutes to spare, because she wanted to touch up her hair and make up before the judges came around. The clock ticked on mercilessly. Pretty soon, Nanny Piggins only had ten seconds to go, and her flurry of activity had not slowed or showed any signs of producing a result. The children watched the seconds tick away. They did not like to count down in case it made their nanny nervous, and she started biting people. When the last second ticked by, the producer took the microphone. Step away from your utensils! All the would-be cooks stepped back except a few who collapsed sobbing on the floor or over their failed plates of congealed tofu. Finished, announced Nanny Piggins, stepping back from her giant pot. The judge came to Nanny Piggins and Nanny Ann's table first. Let's see, said the judge. She sniffed Nanny Ann's entree. Braised tofu with vegetables, very nice. She put a big tick on her notepad. Then she took a small bite of Nanny Ann's main course. Salt and pepper tofu, mm, tasty. Another big tick. And what's this, asked the judge pointing at Nanny Piggins' cooking pot. Prepare to taste the finest dessert ever made from tofu, announced Nanny Piggins, before whipping off the lid. The judge, Nanny Ann, and the children peered into Nanny Piggins' cooking pot. It contained an enormous volume of brown liquid. It looks like chocolate pudding, said the judge. It is chocolate pudding, said Nanny Piggins proudly. Try some. The judge picked up a teaspoon, scooped out a small morsel, and tasted it. Mmm, 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 mmm. That's good, said the judge. But I couldn't taste the tofu. Oh, you have to dig deeper for that, said Nanny Piggins. Oh, okay, said the judge, taking another spoonful. Then another, then another, trying to get to the tofu. By the time the judge's spoon found the tofu, she'd eaten 20 litres of Nanny Piggins' finest chocolate pudding. This pudding is so good, but I don't think I can manage the tofu. I couldn't eat another bite. Precisely, exclaimed Nanny Piggins, because the best way to serve tofu is under 20 litres of chocolate pudding, so by the time you find the tofu, there's no way you'll be able to eat it. Unfortunately for the two nannies, the judge was now so addled on sugar that she thought this reasoning made perfect sense. She gave Nanny Piggins 15 ticks for her pudding, 14 more than she should have, and they went through to the next round. And so the day progressed. Nanny Ann conscientiously made healthy entrees and mains, while Nanny Piggins transformed weird and disgusting ingredients into spectacular desserts. At the end of the day, they had survived all the sudden death elimination rounds to be amongst the six remaining teams who would compete in the televised semi-finals the next day. Well done, Nanny Piggins, said Samantha. I can't believe you're going to be on Steel Chef, said Michael. 
Really, said Nanny Piggins. I can't believe they haven't asked me to be on it earlier. I guess they didn't want a pig to show up all the humans for the limited cooks that they are. Let's go home. Nanny Piggins turned to Nanny Ann to see if she needed a lift in Mr Green's Rolls Royce. Boris had borrowed it from the car park at Mr Green's work and was coming to pick them up. And that was when they noticed for the first time that Nanny Ann had gone a sick shade of white, frozen like a statue, and was muttering strange sounds to herself. Are you all right, Nanny Ann? asked Michael. (laughs) Said Nanny Ann. Do you think I should slap her? asked Nanny Piggins, hopefully. I can't believe it, muttered Nanny Ann. I am going to be on Steel Chef. (laughs) Mummy will be so proud. She has a mother? questioned Derek. I always assumed she'd hatched from a pod, said Nanny Piggins. I think she's gone into shock, said Samantha. Should we put a tourniquet on her arm and make her lie very still? asked Nanny Piggins. That's what you do for a snake bite, said Michael. I know, admitted Nanny Piggins. I really should finish reading that first aid book. But all the exciting things are in the first chapter. It's much more fun to learn about shark attacks and spider venom than how to treat a nosebleed. If we could just find a scorpion to bite her, I'd know exactly what to do. Come on, Nanny Ann, we'll take you home, said Samantha. You need a good night's sleep. Sleep! shrieked Nanny Ann, suddenly snapping out of a catatonic state. There's no time for sleep! I am going to be on Steel Chef! I have recipes to learn! Then she took off into the night, running as fast as she could, abandoning all her kitchen equipment. Where do you think she's going? asked Derek. She's not heading the right way for her house, added Michael. Should we go after her? asked Samantha. No, she'll be all right, said Nanny Piggins. A brisk jog will do her good. Nanny Piggins and the children headed home to enjoy a few chocolate cakes and a relaxing horror movie before turning in for the night. They returned to the football stadium the next day, but during the night the venue had been transformed. The trestle tables were gone. Instead, there were thousands of chairs set out, ready for the capacity crowd that would be descending later that night. A huge stage had been built, and on the stage there were three separate kitchens. Behind the kitchens was a raised platform and a giant playback screen where the steel chef and rude celebrity judges would sit over the contestants for the duration of the show. The format was simple. There would be two semi-finals with three teams competing in each. Then the grand final where the two winners would compete head-to-head with Mr. Kimuzukashi for the title of Steel Chef. Hey parents. Yeah, you. Are you looking for a podcast your kids will really love? Well, we made one just for you. And for us. As genuine, all-natural kids ourselves, we know what makes a fun and interesting podcast. So we decided to make it ourselves. Every show is packed with interviews, stories, and on-the-ground reporting. We have interviewed everyone from scientists to Grammy Award-winning musicians to NFL quarterbacks. Listen to Wild Interest wherever you get your podcasts. Nanny Ann and Nanny Piggins sat backstage during the first semi-final. Nanny Ann used the opportunity to chant measurement conversion tables while Nanny Piggins played handball with the stagehands. After what felt like eons, one of the production assistants approached them. I'll be leading you up on stage in two minutes, she said. Oh my goodness, said Nanny Ann. I'm so nervous. You'll be fine, Nanny Piggins assured her. The worst that can happen is that it all goes terribly wrong and you humiliate yourself in front of a crowd of 30,000 people as well as millions of viewers at home. Nanny Ann now could not speak. She stared at Nanny Piggins with even greater wide-eyed panic. 
You're on, said the assistant. Follow me. Nanny Piggins followed, dragging the now borderline hysterical Nanny Ann out onto the huge stage. They were blinded by the lights at first, but after blinking a few times, their eyes adjusted and they could make out the thousands of faces staring back at them from the darkness. Oh my goodness me, said Nanny Ann, which really is a testament to her strength of will. Even though she was terrified out of her wits, she still had the delicacy not to swear. Nanny Piggins, on the other hand, thrived in front of an audience. Her chest puffed out, her snout rose proudly, and she sniffed the adrenaline in the air. She was soon running back and forth across the front of the stage, leading the crowd in a Mexican wave. Contestants to your cooking stations, announced the producer. Nanny Piggins reluctantly left the adoring crowd and took her place alongside Nanny Ann. The show starts in three, two, one! The crowd roared, smoke billowed out from behind Nanny Piggins. She looked around to see Mr Kamuzukashi rising upwards on a platform with pneumatic grace. He stood proudly, scowling with his arms crossed, assuming enormous dignity for a man wearing what looked like a lady's dressing gown. You compete for the right to cook against me, the steel chef, he shouted angrily in Japanese, before being translated by the much calmer interpreter. You will prepare three dishes, and your special ingredient is... He held out his hand dramatically, indicating the front of the stage. A stagehand wheeled out a trolley, then whipped back the cover to reveal the secret ingredient... Bean sprouts, screamed the steel chef. Oh, thank goodness, exclaimed Nanny Ann. Bottom, moaned Nanny Piggins. Begin, screamed the steel chef. Nanny Ann launched herself into her cooking. She ran to the trolley, grabbed an armful of sprouts, ran back and immediately started sautéing, chopping and mashing. Nanny Piggins did not move with anywhere near her speed. She was too depressed. It was hard to find joy in the opportunity to show off in front of a huge crowd when all you had to work with was bean sprouts. She wished she'd brought a cannon with her so she could at least blast the bean sprouts into the sky. That would be a lot better than eating them. Nanny Piggins was not even sure what a bean sprout was. She had heard of beans and Brussels sprouts, so she assumed it was some horrible genetically modified combination. She cautiously trudged over to the trolley and sniffed at the small, thin vegetables. Then she picked one up and licked it. Mm, not too bad, I suppose, muttered Nanny Piggins. Then she put it in her mouth, but she only got in one chew before she was overwhelmed by the disgusting flavour. Eh! Gross, said Nanny Piggins, spitting the bean sprout on the stage. Pah! Yuck! Yucky! Would you just start cooking something, yelled Nanny Ann, barely looking up from the grey gloop of her simmering bean sprouts. Hmm, said Nanny Piggins, a smile spreading across her face. I know just what to do with them, she said to work. At the end of the half hour, Nanny Ann was flushed but happy. She knew her bean sprout soup and bean sprout dumplings were equal to anything the opposition made. No one knew how to cook with unpleasant health foods like Nanny Ann. And Nanny Piggins seemed very proud of the concoction she was stirring carefully in her saucepan. The dishes were carried up to the steel chef and rude celebrity judges. They declared Nanny Ann's soup to be adequate and her dumplings fair if bordering on the banal, which made Nanny Ann weep because this was high praise indeed from the steel chef. Then the judges turned to Nanny Piggins' dessert. The steel chef yelled and screamed in Japanese for several minutes, which the translator calmly interpreted as... And what is this dish? Chocolate fondue, explained Nanny Piggins. Bean sprouts are disgusting if you chew them, but they're not so bad if you just lick them. So I thought they would make the perfect dipping ingredient for fondue. Far better than dipping strawberries, because you might be tempted to bite a strawberry, thereby ruining the purity of the chocolate experience. The steel chef glowered at Nanny Piggins. She smiled back. 
He picked up a bean sprout and dipped it in the fondue, then stuck it in his mouth. He sucked for a moment, took the bare bean sprout out of his mouth and looked at it, then declared, Oshikikata! The translator gasped. She had never heard the steel chef use this word before. He said, It's tasty, stammered the translator. Now there were gasps from the whole crowd. You win the honour of competing against me in the finals, announced the steel chef. (gasps) We're going through to the finals, squealed Nanny Anne. She was so happy she briefly considered hugging Nanny Piggins, but she did not get the opportunity because Nanny Piggins was running back and forth in front of the crowd, leading Mexican waves again. Nanny Piggins and Nanny Anne had a short break backstage before they had to go back on for the finals. Now, Nanny Piggins, said Nanny Anne in her most superior, smug voice, this is the final. And while winning is important, not humiliating me is even more important. So I think you should let me decide the dessert this time. I doubt you'll continue to get away with your stunt recipes. How dare you, said Nanny Piggins. I'm twice the cook you are. At least my meals bring happiness to those who eat them. Happiness and type 2 diabetes, retorted Nanny Anne. If it wasn't for my well-balanced, traditional cooking, we would not have got this far. If it wasn't for my restraint in not biting you on the leg on one of the several thousand occasions when I've been sorely provoked, we would have not got this far, retorted Nanny Piggins. Maybe I'll make an alternative dessert and let the judges decide which is best, said Nanny Anne. Maybe I'll make an alternative main and entree and they won't have room for dessert, said Nanny Piggins. Ladies, you need it on stage, interrupted a stagehand. Nanny Anne and Nanny Piggins strode back out into the limelight. In the finals, they were competing against two men who ran a fusion restaurant in the city and, of course, the steel chef himself. Ha! A bunch of men will win easily, said Nanny Piggins confidently. They waited for the music and smoke machine to start up, but it did not. Instead, the producer and Mr. Kamuzukashi walked out onto the stage. Before we begin, said the producer, there is an announcement. During the break, we reviewed the footage and one contestant was caught breaking the rules. What did you do? wailed Nanny Ann, turning on Nanny Piggins. Nothing, protested Nanny Piggins. You, said the steel chef, dramatically pointing at Nanny Ann, were caught on camera, interfering with a competitor's utensils. Up on the giant replay screen behind them, there suddenly appeared playback footage of Nanny Ann as she snuck over to her competitor's kitchen area and put a dirty dish in a sink full of soapy water. Put them in the sink to soak so they'd be easier to wash later, protested Nanny Ann. I can't bear untidiness. You broke the rules. You are disqualified. Leave the stage immediately, commanded the steel chef. No! cried Nanny Ann. Two enormous sumo wrestlers came out to escort her off stage. It took them a while because Nanny Ann dodged and weaved to evade them, then hung onto the oven door with all her strength before they finally yanked her free and carried her off. But please, this is all I have. Showing people up and proving I'm better than everyone else is what I live for, wailed Nanny Ann. The last Nanny Piggins saw of her was her weeping face disappearing into the darkness. Well, what about me? Nanny Piggins asked the steel chef. You may continue to compete, but must do so alone, declared the steel chef. The two men in the opposing team sniggered. Even the steel chef was not competing alone. He had an assistant, a master chef in his own right, who would do all the chopping and stirring for him. Nanny Piggins began to feel a rare and unfamiliar emotion. She was daunted. She looked out at the food-loving crowd. She did not want to let them down. Could she really pull this off? Three dishes in 30 minutes? She only had four trotters. 
And now it is time to reveal the special ingredient, announced the steel chef. It is... The trolley was wheeled out. Chocolate! screamed the steel chef. The stagehand whipped off the cover to reveal a huge platter of delicious chocolate. Yes! cried Derek, Samantha and Michael from their seats in the audience. Boris just wept. Up on stage, a huge smile spread across Nanny Piggins' face. She had it in the bag. No one knew chocolate like Nanny Piggins. What followed was the most spectacular culinary demonstration ever performed. Nanny Piggins did not just cook. She put on a show. She used the lighting grid above the stage to swing about like a trapeze artist while whipping her egg whites. She juggled a razor-sharp meat cleaver and flaming blowtorch to slice her chocolate buttons and melt them in mid-air, and she tap-danced while singing an aria from Carmen as she creamed her sugar and butter. When the time elapsed and Nanny Piggins shook the final dash of ice and sugar onto her creations, the crowd rose as one to give her a standing ovation. The judges sampled the fusion chef's food first. They had made impressively innovative choices, and the judges were admiring of their presentation. But the kindest thing they had to say about the taste of the food was that it was interesting. Next, it was the steel chef's turn. The celebrity judges were not rude to him at all. They had seen Mr Kamuzakashi at work with his sashimi slicer and did not want to get on his bad side. But the steel chef was a specialist in subtle Asian flavours. The rich and creamy taste of chocolate was not really a strength of his. Finally, it was time to judge Nanny Piggins' dishes. And what have you made? asked the ruder of the two celebrity judges. For my entree, I made a chocolate cake. For the main, I made a chocolate cake. And for dessert, I made a chocolate cake, announced Nanny Piggins. The crowd gasped at her bold menu. But you've made three desserts, not three separate courses, protested the less rude judge. When you're as good at making chocolate cake as me, it would be a crime to make anything else, argued Nanny Piggins. Just try some. The judges each took a slice of the first cake and tried it. Then they tried a slice of the second cake. Then the third. Then they picked up the whole cakes in their hands and ravenously gobbled them up, pushing and shoving each other as they tried to eat the most. You're right, these are the best cakes I've ever eaten, said the very rude judge, with cake crumbs and whipped cream smeared all over his face. There's one clear winner. Nanny Piggins is the new steel chef, declared the less rude judge, with which the two sumo wrestlers brought out the coveted steel chef's solid steel hat and placed it on Nanny Piggins' head. Nanny Piggins started doing triumphant laps around the stage, only occasionally having to dodge the utensils and sharp knives the old steel chef was throwing at her. Later that night, Nanny Piggins, Boris and the children drove home in Mr Green's Rolls Royce, feeling very happy indeed. Oh, Nanny Piggins, we're so proud of you, said Samantha. What are you going to do with your steel chef's hat? asked Derek. I think... I will give it to Nanny Anne, said Nanny Piggins. It means more to her, and without her, I would not have even bothered entering, let alone getting through all those elimination rounds. Oh, that's awfully nice of you, said Michael, shocked by his Nanny's uncharacteristic generosity towards her arch-nemesis. Oh, don't worry, said Nanny Piggins. I won't do it nicely. I'll go around and throw it through her bedroom window, then run away. I haven't completely forgotten myself. And so they drove home to recreate Nanny Piggins' winning dishes in the comfort of their own kitchen, where they could gobble the cakes themselves without having to share a single bite with any rude celebrity judges. The end. 
Okay, well, that was a chapter from Nanny Piggins and the Accidental Blast Off, the fourth book in the Nanny Piggins series. Um, I just recorded this podcast version in my home office, but if you do buy the audiobook, rest assured it was recorded by a proper sound technician who really does know what he's doing in a proper studio and it sounds even better. So, that book, as well as the first three books in the Nanny Piggins series, are all available from anywhere that you can buy audiobooks. All right, that's it for now, and until next time, goodbye. <laughs>